Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Thanksgiving, everybody. Woo-hoo. Happy Thanksgiving, Cindy. Happy Thanksgiving. 2021, and we are barreling into 2022, and it's uh, shaping up to be a very busy year next year. Very excited. Um, I'm feeling overwhelmed because I don't know how we're going to get everything done next mm-hmm. year. But we have big goals, big dreams, and we'll see what happens. Let the cards fall where they may. But this episode, we are talking about a book by John Sterling called Sales for Noobs. And I wanted to change the format of this podcast a little bit, podcast video a little bit, and just talk about real quick the top five takeaways that I got from this book. And hopefully that'll make things a little bit smaller and more succinct and uh, encourage people to read the book and find out more details about the book themselves. So here we go. Top takeaway number one was about the Colby Index. I'd never heard about the Colby Index before, and I shared it with Cindy, and Cindy's all about this kind of stuff, but this index is really, how would you describe it? Like, uh, you, you mentioned it's a behavior assessment, things that, um, how, you, you describe it. So, there's different types of assessments that people can go through. Some people have heard of the Myers-Briggs, which gets yeah. into your personality. There's Strengths Finder by Gallup, which is one of my favorites. That's There's three four key strengths of people and how they show up, so it's that positive psychology approach. There's DISC behavioral styles, and those are the behaviors externally that you see. And this is kind of a really cool combination of those. So, it looks at your ability, your need for detail orientation like how much detail do you want or do you just like 25 words or less broad picture so your ability to find facts your follow-through so how systematized and uh, practical are you or can you just jump into any situations and immediately adapt as needed how quickly are you to get things started to change direction mm-hmm. so that would be like you have a very specific process for doing things don't mess with the process or you can just improvise as needed like in conversation or with or with processes whatever you need and then implementer is the last and that is uh, how imaginative and big thinking you are are you more focused on building and improving what's already there so james do you want to talk about well, is an implementer your aptitude to actually do something make something happen yeah so there's three facets of that and that is envisioning so that big big broader picture of being able to see all the systems uh the restore where there's something already in place and you want to make sure that it's uh the best that it can possibly be so you want to really work on that piece or the uh demonstrative where you're like building new things which is you Right? Yeah, I love building these things. Mm-hmm. Software. Software, yeah. So my, I, I went ahead and took the test. There's a, a link to, I think it's Colby.com. Yeah. And, you, and uh, Mr. Sterling highly recommends that you take the test in this book. And so uh, I t- we both took the test. Mm-hmm. And I came out as a 5357. And so those numbers mean that I'm a 5 on the scale. Of, so I'm right in the, in the middle of fact-finding. Uh, so like you a, like explanations. 
Yeah, and to have facts to kind of back up why we're doing things that we're doing. Yeah. Uh, three on follow through. So I'm kind of light on actually following through with things. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's how I came out. Uh, but what I, that means is, so like, so you were a, uh, a three unpacked finding or five unpacked finding, right? Five, yeah. So yeah, what that means is you like those, those facts and those details and the reason behind. So I'm a simplify. I want 25 words or less. I don't care about the details. Just give me the top, top uh, top theory or top outline. Wait, wait. So where were you were for, for fact finding? That's what I was telling you. I was you're a simplify. Three? I'm three. You're a three. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then follow through. You're... So follow through. We're both. Uh, I'm a two and you're a three, which okay. means we both adapt. So what that means is it's not that we don't necessarily have follow through. It's that we're adapting to the next thing that's coming along. And so we can pivot as needed. Um, and so it's the next shiny thing. <laughs> so being able to focus and maintain that, it's good to partner with somebody mm. who's more systematized. It's um, interesting that I scored similarly to you, and I'm always making fun of you. I know. <laughs> um, so what was your what was your quick start? Five, with five on quick start. Five on quick start. So what does that mean to you? Um, I have a pretty good aptitude for starting something from scratch. Yep, that's true, and you can modify as needed. And then for me, I'm an innovator, so I'm like always looking for to to take in new information and create new things. You're a four. On uh, the last one? No, no I'm a nine. For, no, for quick start. For quick start, I'm a nine. You're a five. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm a nine. Wrong. So that's my top is a nine. Ah, um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So definitely. Very pretty, high on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, so that's good because I like have ideas and then you like make them happen. <laughs> and you have ideas and we both make them happen. Mm. Um, and then the last one's the implementer. I got a seven and you got a... Restore. So you like to really build new things and create new things and make them all. So you're a five. Kind of a so you're still a five. Yeah, I take what's there and then I build on what's there. Mm -hmm. What we already have versus new stuff. So what was interesting to me about this was the so what. So why do this? Why why take this test and find out kind of where you fit on these different spectrums? And Mr. Sorting points out that his one of his sales companies did this in order to uh, look at their top salesmen in their organization, have them take the test, figure out their commonalities on their Colby index, and then they use that to go profile new hire, new salespeople that they would hire to bring in in hopes that, you know, since they all kind of fit the same Colby index profile, they will all perform similarly well in their sales job. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Looking at this uh, to profile people that you bring into your organization to try to perform similarly to the, pe the high performers that you already have in your organization. Is that legal? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not illegal. Um, you just okay. have to be careful. It cannot be the deciding factor and it cannot be hmm. the only factor because or else you are going to get sued. And so for example, DISC, uh, when I, at one company I was at, uh, we used DISC and we had, we profiled a position and a lot of people, we took a lot of uh, different people who would take the assessment thinking of what this, thinking about this position and who would fit best in this position. So take a finance position. They would be very detailed. And so the profile came out, they're very detailed, not necessarily people focused, but they're very good with numbers and they have systematized processes. So um, when we look for people, we wanna make sure that they're gonna be good and comfortable in that position. Because it's not that somebody who's like me, who's not detail-oriented at all, couldn't do it. It just takes a lot more energy to adapt to that, and it may not necessarily be the best 
comfortable fit for me versus stick me in a room with people where I can engage and think big, then that's going to be a more comfortable position. So it's not that you can't do it. It's just something to think about when you're hiring. Is this going to person and for retention, is this person going to stay long term? This is Piper, our dog. She likes sales too. That's why she's over. Um, so my number two is not a takeaway from the book, but it's just a thought that I had coming into the book uh, uh, and why I wanted to read the book is that number two, uh, everything is sales. And no matter what your job is, uh, pretty much in any organization, you are going to be doing sales to some extent, whether you're a front, end ad, front desk admin or software engineer or someone in IT, or someone in HR, or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter where you fit in an organization, you have to do sales to some extent. Whether you're good at it or not, you're gonna have to do sales. And so that's why this book is so important. And uh, the things that it pointed out, so, some of the things that it pointed out about sales, especially how long it takes to get good at sales, was one of the, the core takeaways that I had from this book. And uh, Mr. Sterling says that once you start practicing the art of sales, it takes a, a new person about two years to get some kind of decent results uh, as a salesperson. But he says that the best sales pe salespeople that he has ever known uh, practice that art for 10 to 20 years. So it is an art. It, it takes a long time to get good at it. And um, we're all involved in sales. And so that's one reason I really love this book. And the cool thing about the Colby Index is that when you understand your own profile, when you're talking to customers and doing mm. the selling, you talk to them in their style, in ways that they understand. So for example, if you have somebody who is a one and doesn't want any details, then you don't want to be going through every single fact sheet because they are not going to hear you. Mm. So it's going to help you be a better salesman by speaking their language. Mm. That's interesting. So that segues nice with my number four top takeaway. We'll skip number three for a second and go to number four. And, um, my number four takeaway from the book is that sales pros sell solutions to problems. Yeah. So newbies, sell newbies or sell new sales noobs as he puts it, have a product that they're trying to, to sell and they don't really care if you need it or not. Their sales to them is just trying to smooth talk you into buying what it is they're trying to sell. Whereas sales professionals try to understand you, they try to understand your problems and they try to sell you solutions to your problems. And it's kind of a minor mindset shift, but it's really powerful when you think about it. And I started, I, I did, I started thinking about that to, to quite, a, uh, quite a degree while I was reading the book and thought about my own house. And from the street, looking at my house, you can see I have a lot of problems. I've got grass that needs cut. I've got leaves, you can see in the back, leaves that need raked. I've got weeds growing out of my gutters. The gutters haven't been cleaned. You can see these problems from the street, but still the people that come by and they knock the sales guys, they knock on the doors, they're trying to sell me subscriptions to magazines, or they're trying to sell me, you know, trying to get money to help some cause. But if they just simply tried to sell a solution to my problem, I would give them money. Even if they don't rake leaves themselves and they went out and found somebody to do it, they, they could do a sale with me. They could, we could do a transaction right there. <laughs> I'd be happy to pay them to solve these problems for me. So this is a great takeaway from this book is if you're doing sales, you've got to figure out your uh, customer, what their pain points are and how to deliver a solution to them. And the sales pros spend a lot of time analyzing problems of their potential customers and how to provide solutions to those problems 
And even doing the analysis on what the ROI on those solutions is going to be for their customers. So that's, that's what it takes to be a sales pro. And that's internal and external, as you were talking about. Every single position has an element of sales. So in HR, we're always trying to prove our ROI so that we get money for next year or starting new mm. programs. So it's internal and external to your company. Mm. Great. So now I'll hop back into my number three takeaway. So I've done one, two, four, and now I'm taking, doing number three. Salespeople, the, my number three takeaway is from this book, salespeople can make bank. So it's really interesting. Uh, Thanksgiving, you're hanging around family, and some people have already entered retirement or whatever, and there's a lot of discussion about being on fixed income. Mm. And I find that so funny because I think we're all on fixed income. If you're an employee, I mean, you're on fixed income. Yeah. You're not, you're These not, are your next pairings. You're not going to make any more money. Yeah. At, you know, you'll get incremental every year possibly, but um, we're all on fixed income. But salespeople really have the potential to make a lot of money based on sales commissions. And so what do salespeople make? I, I had no idea. What, what could a potential sales commission be? So this book helps to uh, share the share those numbers with you. And sharing numbers is very important. Another, another uh, side road. We talk a lot about in family about retirement and stuff like that, but Nobody wants to talk numbers, mm -hmm. especially in family. Nobody wants to talk about what their personal numbers are, how much money they need to have in the bank in order for them to retire. It, for some reason, money and numbers is more personal than Jesus Christ or, <laughs> or Buddha or whatever. It's so personal. People won't talk about numbers. And so that's a great value in this book because he talks about numbers. How much do salespeople make in commissions? Potentially 8 to 10%. So... Sales, a sales commission can be somewhere between 8 and 10% of the total of your sales. So if, if, as me, as a salesperson, if I go out and sell a $1 million uh, contract to, sell, to a potential customer, and they ink the deal and I get 8% of that, I get $80,000 just from that one sale. So if I could do three or four of those sales a year, mm -hmm. which doesn't seem all that much, that's $240,000. That's a lot of money. And that, that's probably on top of your base salary. I think, I think salespeople make a base and then they can make sales commissions as well. And so there's, a, there's lots of anecdotes of what people could actually make in sales. And um, Mr. Sterling talks about people that have worked in his organization and how much money they actually made. And uh, it can be, you know, 400,000, 500,000, million, million dollars. So yeah, you're not really on a fixed income at that point. Yeah. You're, you're really looking to try to make sales to get that commission check. Um, so that was really valuable uh, takeaway for me. Uh, even though it's for noobs, I think anybody can get a great deal of uh, value out of this book based on numbers, just the numbers that come out. Another uh, interesting number that came out and some of the anecdotes that were shared were how much uh, the percentage that a company can make uh, marginalize. So the margin of a company is very important. If, if you have a, some uh, companies say, hey, we made $10 million last year, that doesn't really tell you a whole lot unless you know what the margin is mm. on that, that they're actually making. And so what do companies make on margins? Who knows? Um, you got to ask people and uh, you, business owners and, and hope that they tell you a real number in order to, to kind of get a better feel for what a company is actually, actually making on that $10 million a year example. So uh, one anecdote for a company in here was a 20% margin and the founder of the company was happy to be making 20% mm. on that money. So that was a big, 
improvement. 20% margin on the money was a big improvement for this specific company. So I thought that was, you know, it sounds like maybe companies are operating in that range, 20%, maybe lower, maybe, maybe some are making a little bit more, but, um, Margins are typically, I don't think they're very high in, in most American businesses. So again, if you're, um, if you're making $10 million a year gross and you're only doing a 20% margin, you're only netting $2 million a year. So you're really making $2 million a year. And that's, before, that's not taking into account EBITDA. So EBITDA is uh, earnings before income, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And based on the values of, of those things that can kind of tweak your bottom line upwards or downwards. So anyway, interesting to think about the numbers and what they can mean. Um, and good, good, some good anecdotes and conversations about uh, what salespeople can make and what companies can make. So finally, my last final takeaway from this book was the admonition, admonition, admonishment, admonishment to be like Michael Jordan. And I really like that. And the admonishment is to focus on your own game and to continuously um, educate yourself, practice your craft, practice your art, whether it's sales or software engineering or business leadership or whatever. Continuously practice that, continuously educate yourself to get better and seek to continuously improve your stats. So be like Michael Jordan. And I thought that was great. I love this book. I think you got anybody will appreciate it. I would love to give it to my kids if I thought they would read it. But um, Sales for Noobs by John Sterling. SalesTrainingForNoobs.com. Great book. Hope you guys have a great December. Here we go, the last month of the year, wow. 2021. Getting ready for 2022, baby. Come on strong.